0: Well, I want to share with you, um, today, obviously, is super bullshit. Oh, before I do that, I've got to go backwards just a little bit. If you missed last week, we had probably two-thirds of our congregation here last week, and we really had a great time with Family Worship Weekend, talked about friendship. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, to go online, listen to the message. If you want the whole transcript of it, email me. I'll send it to you. But for parents, there's some uh, important information at the end of it about friendship and how you can help um, shape your child's friendships. You have a critical role as a parent and a grandparent to set them up for success in their life in this way. So go online and uh, take care of that. Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and the sheriff is going to ride into town. might be his last rodeo, and you know that, that Peyton Manning will be prepared for the game. In fact, I would suspect he's going to prepare for the Super Bowl much like he prepares for any other football game. Athletes of any sport have the routines they go through of what they do during the week and watching films and and certain routines they go through the day before of how they go to bed at night and, and what time and what do they eat and they get up. The morning of the the game, and there's certain rituals they go through, and they might be physical, it might be listening to music, it might be certain breakfast that they have. Um, there might be some emotional things, things they read, things they think about, things they pray. I mean, athletes are so superstitious that they will put on their clothes the exact same way, tape up their ankles in the same way, put their uniform on the same way. I mean, they have their routines down because it just helps them put a game face on. It's game on. It's time to get serious. It's it's time to play. And we do that for things in our life that are important. We get prepared. I know that there are women in this church, maybe some men too, but women in particular, that on Black Friday, you spend the week going through the advertisements, circling them, getting out your map of the various stores and what you're going to hit at different times over the next couple of days. You get it all mapped out because it's something important to you. And, and a lot of guys in this place who go hunting who do a lot of preparation, of, of physical training, of gathering equipment, of, of practice and all this to get ready to go deer hunting. I mean, you prepare when, when you're going on a date, when you're looking for that right man or woman. I mean, you take time. You actually shower or shave, guys, right? You, you, you get your hair ready. You put on after. I mean, you do all the things that you normally probably don't do every day because you're getting ready, and women spend you know, hours in front of the mirror because this is a big event. I've got to be prepared for it, Right? You prepare for important things. But here's the irony very few of you prepared to come to worship today. Honestly, very few of us even put thought into preparing. In fact, you're probably thinking, how do you prepare for worship? Don't you just show up? You can. Football players can just show up. Think, Think how they'll play if they just show up, they haven't prepared. And I'm telling you, if you don't prepare for worship, you are cheating yourselves and you are cheating God. And, and I want to talk to you today about that because this past week, a lot of us talked more about football than we did about God. Honestly, some of us were more excited when you got up this morning that there was a big game on today than we were about coming to worship God. A lot of us thought more about how we were going to dress today to show our loyalty to our team than we do on a typical Sunday to show our devotion to our Heavenly Father. I'm just telling you, there's something backwards with all of that because worship is serious. And we're going to look at a passage today that I think is so powerful. Solomon has been looking laterally uh, at the world and how everything seems so meaningless. I mean, the cycles of life and the meaninglessness of of people and the, the good die and the bad die and the bad prosper and sometimes the good suffer it doesn't make sense it's it's all vanity he says in fact that's what life is like under the sun that's a metaphor for a humanistic view of life is looking at life from your vantage point the best i can figure out this doesn't make any sense at all And that's through human observation. And we don't need human observation. We need divine revelation from God's perspective to speak in our lives and tell us what is true, what is good, what is right. And so we don't live life under the sun. We live life in the sun meaning in a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, as Matt was saying, it transforms everything about your world. You look at life differently. You live life differently. And we want you to know that life in the Son, life with Jesus, is the best life you can ever live. And so Solomon approaches this chapter, chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. We've been in this series. It's journals. It's the journal entries of a guy who was the wisest wealthiest, most powerful man at a certain period of history, blessed by God in phenomenal ways, and yet he didn't act with wisdom, made some poor choices, went down a bad path in his life. And he writes in this journal, kind of the book of Ecclesiastes, lessons he's learned about his regrets in life. And one of the things he observed has to do with worship. And he looks at the worship culture of his day, and, you know, in Solomon's day, I think he knew a lot about worship. He was the architect of the temple. This massive building, the center of worship for the nation of Israel, took 153,000 men seven years to build. And if you go back and look at the dedication of the temple, it's amazing. At At the day of dedication, they're dedicating this worship place to God. Solomon raises his hands. He gives this lengthy prayer. It's like a page and a half in my Bible. It's a long prayer of commitment to God. And it says that when he was done praying that fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. It it says that the place was filled with the glory of God. It it says that the people who had gathered there fell on their knees, faces down, worshiping and giving thanks to God. Now that is a powerful worship moment. I think the most powerful worship moment that ever happened in that temple because from then on, it sort of went downhill, partly because of Solomon's influence. But he's watching the culture, and worship became more about themselves than about god it became more about what was convenient what was comfortable what they liked and didn't like than it really was about coming before a holy god to worship him and and see what he likes what he desires in their lives you know worship is something that we are to do all the time there's a private aspect of worship which means you worship all the time. You, you, you worship God, which means you give God glory. You give your allegiance to him. You recognize his place in your life all through the day, whether you're at work, home, eating, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, the scripture says. But there also is a corporate time that's, that's when believers gather together in a place, in a time. Ours is Sunday mornings, and the Jewish people have their times too. You gather together for the specific purpose. I mean, nobody questions that the reason we've come here today is to focus on God, right? That's what we've carved this time out. But God is not impressed when we live for ourselves six days of the week, and we clean up and put a happy face on and carry a Bible and go off to church for 75 minutes on a Sunday. But for many of us, that's the extent of our worship is this time. And we've not really even prepared for it. So I want to encourage you today. In fact, I want to ask you, for the many of us in this place that really didn't prepare properly for worship today, that we've had some warm up for it already, but we're not done. I'm gonna ask you to do this. I wanna ask you to sincerely say, God, I'm ready. Game on, I'm ready. I- I'm here to encounter you, to hear your voice, and do what you ask me to do. Would you do that with me right now? Father, we're gonna open your word, and we pray that you'd speak to it, through it powerfully to us, that you would penetrate our hearts and call us to a deeper place of trust with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes, it's right about in the middle of your Bible. I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. He says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. It's funny how um, football has become... Such serious business. I mean, a game that as a kid I played with friends—a little oval-shaped ball that you threw and you kicked and you caught, and you tackled someone who held it. And it was just kind of fun, but it's serious business now. It's billion-dollar business right now, and the players are serious. They train. They. They, they work out, they prepare, because this is their livelihood. And honestly, many of us fans have gotten so serious about it. I mean, sometimes we can't even watch the end of a game because we're so worked up over it. I mean, we get so into it. It's, it's, it's so serious. And, and what's ironic is we turn a game into something we worship. And we often turn worship into a game we play. And it shouldn't be that way. God is the highest priority in our lives. God is the one that's most worthy of our devotion and attention. And it would be interesting. In fact, maybe we ought to learn some lessons from football and apply them to church. So if we wanted to get more people here, do you know what we should do? To get standing room only, charge $100 to have a seat in the worship service. That we're going to take out all all the cushioned seats and put in Plastic chairs that are pressed tightly together so you don't have any arm room because people like that We're gonna take off the roof and make people endure the elements the wind the cold the rain the snow We're gonna make the service last a little over three hours And watch people come two hours early and tailgate out front You want to take communion here at this church It's gonna cost you five bucks for that little cup and little wafer that's what, that's what we should do because that's what works at, the, at Mile High Stadium. It's crazy how we have made a sporting game an object of worship. Why does God deserve that kind of worship? Simply this. God is superior, so we take him seriously. There's no one greater than God. There's no one higher than God. And so worship is a serious thing. And Solomon gives us some direction of how to approach him. And these are things that we can do as we prepare to come to corporate worship, but I think you can do this in your own private worship. When you come before God to keep these things in mind, first of all, this, listen intently because God is speaking. Listen intently because God is speaking. Here's what he says, Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He said, if you come and you've got an offering in your hands, he says, set it down. I don't want want what your hands have to give right now. I don't even want what your mouth has to give right now. I want what your ears have to give. And I want you to give me your attention. When we come in with our hearts already full of things we want to say to our friends, prayers I want to give to God, praises I want to give to God, um, all these things that I've got floating around my head, and then I've got the game and the food and all the stuff in my head, he says, how in the world can you hear from God? You've come in with so many cares, so many thoughts, that you didn't come to listen. You came to give, and there's a good part of that. I mean, it's, it's great to come to give to God what's in here. But if we're not careful, we have, we have made it all about my agenda and none about his. And you don't want to miss God's plan for your life. And the only way you're going to hear it is if you make space to listen. You see, God's not this clerk behind the counter at a fast food restaurant he says, God, here's my order. <coughs> Here's what I want you to do for me and my family and my job, and I know it would honor you. God, do those things. Or, or go to the complaint desk, and God, this isn't right, and this isn't right, and you need to fix it. God, Here's what Solomon says. God is in heaven. You are on earth. That's why you take God seriously. And it's not that God's like way off, a million miles away in heaven. Heaven is a dimension. It's a dimension that we don't see. He sees the invisible as well as the visible. He sees the spiritual that we don't see. God sees the angelic and demonic battle going on all around us. He sees the beginning all the way to the end. He sees the whole picture. So when you come to God, you come to the one who knows it all, who sees it all, who gets it. And I believe that God is more ready to speak than we are to listen. Where two or three are gathered, God is there, fully engaged, fully intent, ready to do immeasurably beyond all we ask Or imagine. Yet often we miss it because we're not ready to listen. He says, A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. So keep your words few. Jesus understood this because Jesus carved out times where he would go off and be with his Father, and he would listen. And he would surrender himself and say, It's your will, not my will. And he even taught his disciples to pray. He says, Start off your prayers like this. Our Father, which are where? In heaven. God's in another place. God's in mission control. He's he's got all the screens around. He sees it all. He's got all the angels ready to go. He's there ready. So listen to God. Acknowledge where he is. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Be still. That's hard to do, isn't it? Be still and know that I am God. If you're too busy, too frantic, you got noise all around you, and we like noise in our culture, we like activity, we like the TV on, the radio on, we like music, we like all that, that that you're going to miss it. Because you're filling with all kinds of other words. You need to pause and listen to God. See, Matt said something that we try to say every single week. Our hope is that when you're in this place, that you will hear God's voice, specifically for you, Listen to that voice and do what he's calling you to do. That's our desire. But if we don't pause to listen, we'll miss it. I'm, I'm a kind of guy where I zone in on one thing. It's like I have a dial that locks in on one station. And so oftentimes, this, happen, this happened for years. I'll be in the car and the kids will be talking, fighting in the backseat. I don't even hear them because I'm thinking about something else. And my wife will say, do you hear them? And... Oh, oh, oh! I guess I do. Yeah, yeah, they're back there. Well, are you going to talk to them? I block them out. Or, or sometimes I'm so zoned in on something on the TV or something I'm reading that she has to say, I'm speaking to you. <laughs> and I have to dial over to get to her because I, I just focus on one thing at a time. Some of you may say, Pastor, I, I would hear God if I knew what his voice was like. I don't know what it sounds like. Honestly, for me, God's voice is never this audible voice, though he might do that for you. God's voice typically is this deep conviction that that comes in the heart of a prompting of a word. And, And so often it's something that I know I didn't make this up. It's not something I want to do. And I know it's not something that would honor the devil. So obviously it's got to come from another place. The only other voice I think it could be would be the Lord. And that's the Lord's voice. Now, I think there's some of us here who don't want to hear God's voice because you're afraid he's going to call you out. It's kind of like the person who says, you know, I I got this doctor's appointment coming up, and I know he's going to ask me, have you been eating the cupcakes and the donuts? Have you been doing the evening walks? What are you doing? And you're afraid to go to the doctor because your levels are going to show that you have not been doing what you're supposed to do. And so I think some of us feel that way about God, but you need to know this. When you go to the doctor and he tells you the truth is for your good, Jesus said this, that the truth will set you free. Don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. Does it hurt? Sometimes it really does. Sometimes when God calls you out, it hurts. But it's for our freedom to break the lies, the chains, the, 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 the patterns that we become accustomed to. He wants to set us free from that. And It's the truth that sets us free. That's why we take seriously this time every week when we're opening God's word. I mean, anybody who's preaching, this is true of me or, or Matt or Sam or Billy, or any of us who are preaching God's word, we spend time praying. We spend time studying. We, we spend a lot of time asking God, God, what are you saying here? What's, the, what's your word for this congregation today? Because we don't want to get in the way of what God wants to say. We want to actually be a, a, a kind of a channel through which God can speak. And if you hear God's voice through us, we've done our job. But that's our desire, that we encounter this. There's no book like this in all the world. There's no book. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, Scripture says. And your faith will grow the more you understand the truth of this book. So you've got to stop and say, God, I'm listening. I know you're speaking. My ears are attuned to you. That's the first thing he says here. The next practice Solomon talks about is keep your promises because God is watching. Keep your promises because God is watching. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. I think this is an area that we take so casually in our culture. You know, the, whenever someone's baptized, to me, the key conversation is, are you committing yourself to make Jesus Lord? In fact, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, that's a big term. Lord means supreme authority. It is the one that I take directions from. So when someone's ready to be baptized, that's the key question. Are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to follow him as Lord? And when, and, and when someone says, yeah, that's what I want, that's what I want to do, you know, I trust that they're, they're sincere. But you know what's so, so sad is many people who go through the baptistry, and you'd expect that if Jesus is Lord, then that life's going to look different. It's going to look pretty dramatically different in some cases. When the family and friends and work associates say, you know what? He still cusses like he did. She's still promiscuous like she was. They're still doing the things they did. He's still sleeping with the person he's not married to. I mean, he still is is, is cheating on the job. This person is still so rude and disrespectful. They say, I'm not seeing the change. Didn't they say Jesus was Lord? Doesn't Lord mean I do what he says? And yet we betray it. We betray our vows by the way that we live. In our culture, it is so, so clear that we do that in marriage. People get married, they, they come before God and a justice of the peace, and you make these vows. And most of us, when we said the vows, very end of it, we said, until death separates us. There'll be good times, there'll be bad times, rich times, poor times, healthy times, sick times. In spite of it all, I'm going to keep my word until death would separate us. Now we say that, we, we say it with good intentions, and yet culture says, you know what, you can call a mulligan if you want, a do-over, and, and, and you got some good reasons for it. You know, you are too young when you did it. You didn't really understand what you were committing to. You didn't know what the other person was bringing to the table. We all understand that you didn't really mean what you said At the time, I I can't tell you the couples that I've talked to and and have used excuses like, you know, I never really did love them. I said, Really? You were very convincing at your wedding. (laughs) Real convincing that you love them. And we're trying to talk ourselves into it. And I know there are some legitimate biblical grounds for divorce. And those are um, permissions for divorce, They're, they're not mandates for divorce. So even if someone has an affair, that doesn't mean you have to go get a divorce. God can work in in all kinds of situations. And I know some have some real painful drugs and abuse and all that. But for most of our general public, we just have these pretty lame excuses of why we can't keep our vows. And he says here, don't say my vow was a mistake. Many of us make vows, you know, on Sundays. We come here and maybe maybe we got moved by a sermon to say, I'm going to start serving the Lord. Or I'm going to start tithing. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start tithing starting next week. Or we're going to have a quiet time. We're going to have prayer as a couple at our house. We're going to start doing that. I really mean it. We're going to start doing it. I'm going to start reading my Bible. You know, we make all these promises. I'm just telling you, don't mess with God with your promises. God, God, God is not pleased at all with promises that are not intended to be kept. And he doesn't buy our excuses. So better not to make a promise than to make one and break one. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 37 Jesus said um, you simply need to say yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And I think God is like that because that's how God is. When God says it, he means it. When God makes a promise in scripture, he means it. And I just want to tell you if our church if our citizens in our community, if our politicians, if, if we all kept the promises that we made, this would be a radically different nation. This would be a radically different city. This would be a radically different church. Keep your vows. God takes them seriously. He's watching. He's taking note of it, and he's not impressed when we don't keep them. And the last thing he says, I know this is pretty heavy, but this is serious stuff. Worship is serious. He says, stand in awe because God is great. Tune in your ears, Quiet your mouth, steady your feet, and stand in awe of him. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. You know the Bible actually says to fear God more than it says to love God? And in the New Testament, they're, they're, they're equal in the amount of times. And they're not like they're saying opposite things. It's not like fear God, no, no, love God, and we're going to waffle between the two. It's, I actually think they're the same thing. I think that when you love God, you have this great respect and awe of God, and I liken it to how I feel about electricity. I love electricity. I love when you can go flip a switch and the light goes on, and plug a TV in and it glows, and all those th- sorts of things. But you know what? I have great respect for electricity. When I'm messing with wires, like on a ceiling fan or electrical outlet, and I'm checking the diagram three or four times, I'm making sure the breaker box is is is, uh, is flipped. And uh, I make sure nobody goes in the garage and, you know, moves it back over while I'm working on it. You know, I I just do all these things to make sure that there's no chance I'm going to get electrocuted because I'm a little scared to get electrocuted. I like messing with electricity. Ever since I was told by a neighbor when I lived in Arizona of an incident where a man was driving a, a trencher Digging a ditch, hit a main power line, and and such power flowed through that line into his machine that it froze his hands on the unit and fried him like a marshmallow. When they found him, his whole body was black. You respect electricity. You have this reverence for it. You treat it with something very serious. And what I love about the word awe is it carries with it just the very word it's, it's one of these funny words in our English language, onomatopoeia, it's called, where they, the word actually sounds like what it's supposed to do, like cough. Or, you know, that's, that's one of those words, or thump. You know, it just sound like that's what it is. And awe is a word that when you say it, makes your mouth drop and your eyes get bigger. And that's what awe does before God. Your, your eyes get big, your mouth drops, you get speechless before God. You're in awe of God. And that is something that God says, come before him. God loves us. God, God welcomes us. But he doesn't play games with us. And you may say, oh, pastor, that's Old Testament stuff. I, I know it's true, scary God in the Old Testament, but Jesus is so tender and cuddly and loving. But you know, in the New Testament, book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with what? Reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Fire like electricity can be your friend, can kill you. We love the warmth of a bonfire, but if you don't watch your step, remember the beginning of the Solomon said, guard your step? You only say that when you're around something dangerous. You know, it's when you're going to Afghanistan, you're walking the streets, and you know there could be some bombs planted, and you, you watch your step. You got dogs when you walk in the backyard, you watch your step, Right? <laughs> Because there's danger, there's something unpleasant that you could step into, and he says, "When you come before the Lord, recognize you come before a holy, powerful God who loves you, who sent His Son to die on a cross for you. But don't play games with Him. Don't take it lightly, because He's a great God. He's worthy of all of our praise." You know, in our staff meetings, we often have this um, discussion about what's the win. What's, what's the win of an event? You know, how do we know if we accomplish what we set out to accomplish? So in football, a win is really easy. Because of all the things that players and coaches want to do, here is the win. You want to score more points than the other team. That's it. Everything else is secondary. Score more points than the other team. So that's a win. So what's a win when we come to church? When you come here, what is a win? It's simply this. Now, you may think that we get out on time. No, that, that may be a win for you. That's not the big win. You're not going to quite make it today. We're going to be a couple minutes late. Okay? You might think, well, they sang my favorite song. That was a win for me. Or I I felt good. The sermon made me feel good. And maybe today's not going to feel so good for some of you, so it wasn't a win. But honestly, this is the win, that you would encounter a holy, living God who is far greater than you or me, that you would quiet yourself to hear his voice, to hear him lovingly, profoundly speak into your life the truth, and that you would promise to God, that's what I'm going to do, and, and really follow through and do it. Tusk, that's a win. In fact, there was a guy at first service came to me and said, Pastor, when you talked in December about forgiveness, I was bothered by that. I was haunted by that. And that week, he had to go, and there was a big issue with another business person in his life, and he says, I had to call that person and ask for forgiveness because God wouldn't let that go. And I said, you did it. You heard him. You obeyed him. That's awesome. That is worship. And so to end the service today, I'm going to ask all of us all across this place. I don't know what you came in with today, what kind of mindset, but right now I hope your mindset is to worship a God who's far greater than you and me and and worthy of all our praise.